Welcome to the Stock Gals. This is your show at FreightWaves for all things related to consumer packaged goods, uh, CPG, and uh, their supply chains, and have a lot to talk about today. The topic of the hour was last week's announcement that Kroger uh, will be acquiring Albertsons um, in a big deal, uh, you know, really blockbuster deal in the grocery space. I'll talk through how I think that's going to impact the CPG companies, and I'll also talk th- uh, through a few um, you know, news stories that appeared on FreightWaves.com that I think is very re- that are very relevant to uh, the CPG uh, industry. But first, let's just give a little word from our sponsor, which is RJW Logistics Group. RJW owns and operates every step of the middle mile. As an asset-based integrated logistics company, they offer a full suite of retail supply chain solutions under one roof, including industry-leading retail consolidation that consistently delivers over 98% on time and in full, month after month to many retailers. RJW's programs offer global suppliers control and transparency, helping them improve in-stocks, achieve retailer compliance, grow market share, and increase sales. Visit rjwgroup.com to optimize your supply chain today. So we'll be talking to RJW uh, next week um, on the show. And today I'll just go through you know, really what I think about the the, the Kroger um, you know, Albertsons acquisition. So if you haven't seen it, um, announced the definitive agreements to acquire Albertson. It's expected to close in early 2024. So it is going to take, let's say, a year in early 2024. So early about a year and a half to two years to get it fully approved um, in terms of uh, traditional grocery grocers. It's the largest buying the, the, the second largest. If you consider big box retailers to be grocery stores, this is going to be the second largest acquiring the fourth or fifth largest. So I wrote up a blurb about this um, for the Stockout newsletter that went out on Friday. And so I'll talk through um, you know, some of those things and really kind of the first thing that I think comes to mind for most following the CPG industry is this re- uh, con- consolidation of the retail channel um, in the grocery segment is, is going to mean um, something that's not so great for suppliers. And that's uh, really leaning more on the suppliers for uh, you know, price declines and, and, and those things just have a, a, have a harder um, you know, driving a harder bargain, sort of using the, the Porter's five forces. I think that's sort of the most obvious thing. And Kroger appeared to confirm that in its analyst call. They said they expect about $1 billion in cost synergies. And they said the biggest buckets of that are um, negotiating leverage with its vendors. That's the CPG companies uh, primarily and uh, supply chain improvements, which will be interesting. I mean, it, Kroger has a little bit more of a centralized uh, supply chain. Uh, Albertson's a little bit more um, you know, decentralized. And so there could be some con- consolidation there. Um, they said they are going to go out to their um, supplier community, the CPG in- industry, as a unified company. Um, and it seems like they're going to do that kind of right away, not necessarily um, you know, waiting for the um, deal to, to to close. And you sort of look at the big CPG companies and sort of their current customer concentration. And most of the big CPGs will say that Walmart is about a 20% customer thereabouts when you look at their SEC filings. And they say that no other retailer is more than, than 10%. That'll probably change. Will there still t- start to list, you know, Kroger, Albertsons, whatever the resulting name uh, of the corporate company um, is going to be in, in, in kind of that 10, 15% range once that, uh, you know, once that deal closes, uh, you know, some of the other implications here, um, you know, I think it'll be, uh, make things more difficult for the smaller uh, CPGs to break into some of these large channels. I think it'll be less of an adjustment for the big CPG companies that already sell into both Kroger and Albertsons, which is most of the the, the big ones. 
There are some that maybe sell into one or the other. There are some smaller ones maybe hoping to break into those. I think that maybe the smaller ones, it may might want to adjust their their strategy, you know, more direct to consumer, you know, web-based type things, take more of a premium approach. I mean, it, it seems like it's going to make things more difficult for uh, the smaller, um, you know, CPGs or even using, you know, Amazon sort of the last week talked to um, you know, Chris Moe about the strategy that CPG companies can use in crafting their Amazon strategy. That may be even more important with this consolidation um, of the, the retail grocery channel. Another implication here is uh, Kroger's acquisition of Albertson is going to lead to an expansion of private label opportunities on the retail side. So Kroger gave, gave some statistics here. Kroger's brand portfolio um, is about $28 billion in sales. That would make it the ninth largest CPG company. Um, and with the acquisition, it's going to go to $43 billion, which would make it one of the very largest. That's going to be about 20% of their total sales are represented by private label. And I thought the comment that was really interesting from the analyst call was that even though both of those grocers have about a 20% of their sales come from private label, the brands that they're really good at, sort of the segments that they're really good at, do tend to not have a lot of overlap. So Kroger's good at some things on the private label side. Albertson's good at other things on the private label side. You sort of bring both those capabilities together it's almost like you're going to have a draft and you know the better you know players are going to be on the field and and some of those private label brands are going to go by the wayside others are going to go nationwide and it seems like that's going to lead to a lot of uh, efficiencies on uh, private label manufacturing they did say that they're going to have 52 um, manufacturing plants post deal and um, you know if they consolidate some of that manufacturing you know not have duplicative things like i think both of them have a cheese brand um, that that potentially frees up manufacturing capacity for other types of uh, food products could lead to more you know potential uh, food product launches um, and so you sort of think well that 20 percent private label you know maybe that increases to 25 30 35 percent um, you know at some point as the companies you know look to to, to grow their private label brand so I, I do think there might be some CPG um, you know, companies that are displaced there. I'm not sure what those companies would be um, right now, but it's definitely something to, 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 to be mindful of. Um, the next thing here is Kroger um, acquisition of, of, of Albertson uh, leads to a change in data capabilities. And this one, I think, was, was, was really interesting. I mean, some have talked about, um, you know, the data capabilities as really being maybe the biggest um, rationale for the, the acquisition. And sort of after the acquisition, the um, combined company is going to have data on about 85 million households, which is most, you know, households, you think sort of two to three people, um, you know, in a household, most of those that, that buy groceries, at least the traditional, um, you know, grocery stores. And so with data like that, usually it's not a situation where one plus one equals two. It's more like one plus one equals three, four or five, because it fills in the gaps of, um, you know, households that have moved, that have changed commutes to work. That you know, just preferences of, of, of different you know grocery stores going to all, all those gaps are sort of filled in. It gives the um, the companies a lot of data and insights into not only um, you know what they buy on the food side, but also what they're likely to buy um, you know outside of food. I mean, there was a quote from Walmart recently that talked about how their highest margin business now is on the data side. Of of things, and I, you can imagine that you know taking place with with Kroger too. So, you know, someone buys baby formula at Kroger, 
that that's important information because you have a pretty good idea of what the types of purchases they're going to be buying the next several years. It makes them um, you know a target of specific ads that are right in their in, in their wheelhouse for things that they're likely to buy um, for however many years down down the line. So very valuable um, you know, information. Um, you know, my colleague Jack DeLeo wrote up a modern shipper article. Um, I think we have a graphic on that. Um, he talked not only about um, the, the, the data side of things, but also a lot of the delivery implications. And so his perception was not only um, is the, the data going to be more valuable, but uh, this is maybe a defensive strategy when you think of Amazon and Walmart trying to um, take grocery from someplace that you go to someplace that is that is that is delivered. Um, you know, both of those companies have a lot of capabilities there. Uh, and Kroger, um, you know, talked a lot about that too. You know, moving quicker from uh, the field or farm to table, which um, would enhance the customer experience because it just leads to a longer shelf life. Um, they're going to do things like combine the fulfillment centers. They're going to have a more decentralized operation. You know, over the last several years, Jack talks about in his uh, article that Kroger has ta- partnered with a company called Ocado that builds e-grocery uh, fulfillment centers. That stock was up um, significantly after this this news. They also have a partnership with Canap to aut- an automation of distribution centers, and, and and Albertson has worked with some technology companies too. So there may be some consolidation in those data um, and uh, you know grocery uh, you know data suppliers, robotics type suppliers. Um, in the article, you know, Jack talks about how. Kroger's worked on robotics, I believe that would be for picking and also looking into things like drone delivery. So Kroger doesn't want to be left behind by um, Amazon's continual push to um, make the uh, customer experience you know, ever more uh, streamlined. So it does look like um, you know, with all those things that uh, the, both these, the combined company is going to be more productive than any of the individual companies could be. And that's something that um, you know, the customer experience uh, you know, should be enhanced. The next topic here, and this is a big one, is Kroger um, and, and, and Albertsons. What are the antitrust issues? And this is uh, kind of the first thing you know, that comes to mind, maybe aside from that, that first topic where they're going to push harder on, on, on their vendors, is the Federal you know, Trade Commission will be looking closely at that. Um, they could potentially stop the deal if they deemed it was anti-competitive. We've seen that in the food space before. Um, and they're going to be looking a lot, uh, not just at the nationwide footprint, which the nationwide footprint of Kroger um, Albertson is going to be about 13% share. It's still going to be less than Walmart at 22. But really what's more important is the market share in a particular region. Uh, people tend to buy their groceries within, I don't know, 15 minutes or so. And um, there are certain areas where there's not a lot of overlap. Um, you know, Kroger is stronger in the Midwest. Albertson is stronger in the Northeast. Um, but where there's a lot of overlap is, is some of these Western cities, Seattle and Denver being, you know, a couple of them, Los Angeles. A lot of overlap also in the Texas, both Dallas and, and Houston. And you know, lots of those places are within a few miles of me, both on the Kroger and the Albertsons side. Albertsons under the, the Tom Thumb. Uh, brand. And so, um, you know, Kroger, not taking it by surprise, they have a team of experts looking into this. And their perception is that the Federal Trade Commission is going to require them to divest between 100 and 350 stores. Of course, there could be a surprise and maybe the Fed, Federal Trade Commission is um, more against it and needs them to divest 600. Maybe they won't allow it at all. It does come at a time when 
Um, food prices, I think, are on top of everyone's mind, and they don't want to allow something where it's just going to allow uh, companies to you know gouge on prices with anti um, you know competitive antitrust behavior. It does bring in the question of what actually is a grocery store? Is the market sort of the traditional retailer, or does that include all the big box? You know, retailers, including um, you know, Walmart, Costco is very big in grocery, and now you know Amazon and even things like Instacart and a lot of these delivery boxes. And you know, Kroger and Albert, Albertsons both have their own sort of delivery boxes. Sort of my perception is any store that sells groceries is a grocery store, and the wider, you know, broad, you know broader sense of the definition is, is is really what should be applied. But um, you know, it's always difficult to predict. Um, you know, those type of things. And maybe they'll be more strict just with the um, inflation and uh, food prices here recently. And with the Biden administration looking at all of these, um, you know, different industries to see if there's any anti-competitive behavior, they did uh, require that uh, Kroger um, last year submit, uh, you know, a plan for just what their supply chain is going to look like, how to prevent supply chain issues that would ultimately lead to higher prices. Uh, another topic related to Kroger and Albertsons is sort of what's the implication for shoppers. Um, Kroger says that prices will go down for groceries um, because of this. Others uh, don't believe it. You know, Bernie Sanders is one of those who does not believe it and thinks this is a complete disaster for um, shoppers. Well, I think it remains to be seen. I think it could go either way. And I think it's it's sort of a situation where both of those things are are true. I think there are some locations where Kroger and Albertsons fight tooth and nail with Walmart and that greater scope will be invested in keeping prices low so they don't lose market share to, to, to Walmart. I think there are certainly places like that. There are other places where getting your groceries at Walmart, really inconvenient. You think of you know densely populated places in, 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 in big cities. Think about when I used to live in Lincoln Park, neighborhood of Chicago. Would have been awfully inconvenient to go shopping at a at a Walmart for, for, for groceries. I think in those cases, um, they're going to price the market and it could actually lead to higher, uh, you know, grocery prices. So it could be a little bit of, of, of both. Kroger does say they're going to be investing about 500 million to lower, to, to lower prices. They also say the shopper is going to see improvements to the customer experience. So they're going to be investing 1.3 billion in that. I mean, that's, they didn't give any detail on that, but that could be things like, um, you know, e- easier access to, you know, e-commerce, um, you know, better picking, those type of th- those type of things. You know, some have suggested there's going to be fewer stores and, and some you know, say, well, there's going to be fewer stores anyway, because more people are buying their groceries online. So fewer grocery stores are needed, um, which seems like an, an interesting comment that, that, that could be that could be right on. And, you know, potentially also could this help? Uh, grocers or, or consumers, because this grocery chain will be in business against, you know, Walmart and Amazon. Those two companies won't put them out of business. It'll be sort of this this other this other alternative. I, mean, I think my sense is that they would have persisted anyway. Um, would just have to carve out a different niche in terms of you know price point, convenience, those those, those type of things. But um, you know, lots of interesting things you know in that space, um, and it'll be interesting to see how this all develops. I think on balance, it's probably a negative for CPG companies, but there might be an opportunity for some CPGs that sell into one chain to sell into the other. There may be an opportunity for CPGs to, to leverage this you know, newfound, um, you know, built out source of, of customer data to market their products uh, you know, more effectively. So there could be some, some silver linings there.
before I go on to uh, what's happening on FreightWaves.com, I would just like to give another shout out to RJW uh, Logistics Group for sponsoring this uh, this show. Um, are you assessing the advantages of prepaid versus collect freight management for delivery into retail? RJW's retail consolidation program consistently achieves over 98% on time and in full to ensure a stronger shelf presence, increased in stocks, retailer compliance, and overall retail supply chain improvement. Visit rjwgroup.com to speak with a retail logistics expert about the advantages of RJW's program and to make the best decisions for your business. So um, sort of right on point with that, um, you know, with that ad, um, lots of things to consider um, for a CPG company selling into to retail. I'm going to move on to news topic number one. I did talk about this last week, the low water conditions that are threatening barge traffic. They're still low. And uh, Rachel Premack, my colleague on the editorial side, uh, just put out an article there. There it is. You can see on the screen, a latest supply chain crisis could threaten global stash of food uh, energy. Um, these are, you know, low water conditions. So, so barges, you know, move about five miles an hour up and down the river system. Um, but they, you know, move at that speed by, you know, carrying lots of, you know, commodities. About sixty percent of grain, fifty-four percent of soybeans are exported, you know, via barge. Um, you know, what's not exported via barge mostly exported, um, you know, via rail. But there's been all kinds of service issues, and service issues are, are expected. This fall, um, Surface Transportation Board is really watching the railroad service levels and is skeptical that they're going to be able to, um, you know, meet their requirements. And so, this really doesn't come at a great time um, in, in, in uh, you know, for the transportation network to have low, low, low water conditions. And these commodities are very expensive right now because of the war in, in, in Ukraine. So, it's a time when more of the commodities would move. Those high prices encourage. You know, movement of these type of, of commodities, water levels are lowest they've been in over a decade. And, and, and in some cases, it's, it's closer to, to three decades. I have a chart on the Illinois River barge freight rates from the U.S. Department of, of Agriculture. And, and, and you can just see how much um, you know, higher they are. So they're up 319% year over year. And that's you know, up 286% over the three-year average. And you just see how quickly you know, this has changed. And barge freight rates, I used to cover um, American commercial lines when it was public and I was a stock analyst. They, they mostly move grain on the spot market and those spot, those spot rates can really shoot up this time of year. And you can see from this chart how much they've, they, they, they've shot up where as recently as um, late August, early September, they were right in line with the three-year average. And now they're 300% above the, 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 the three-year year average. And that is to say nothing of how difficult it is to, to get um, you know, the service levels that are required. Um, at one point last week, there were over 100 towboats and 2,000 uh, barges. So let's call it 20 barges in a, in a tow waiting in the lower Mississippi. They've, less, they've since opened it up to one-way traffic, but that still um, it reduces the, the throughput of, the, of those barges. What the other thing they do is they reduce the size of the tows. Uh, when the water conditions are low like this, so that the tow sizes have been going from from forty barges to twenty five barges, um, so all those things are making it very difficult to get grain, um, you know, exported. Um, so hopefully um, that Im- improves itself. I'll move on to the next, um, you know, news item. Here is that CPG price hikes to slow, and that was a. Uh, a news item I saw from Winsight Grocery Business. I'm, you know, I'm on their newsletter. It was one of the many newsletters that I, um, you know, sign up for, 
And, um, and I thought this was interesting because the you know, last, let's call it two years, CPG companies have ra- raised their prices pretty continually, but they have a survey out now that says less than 40% of product makers, um, you know, CPG companies, say they'll increase their prices in the first six months of 2023, and one-fourth say they have no planned additional price increases going forward. So that seems like it suggests that the CPG companies are starting to see the ingredient costs tail off, you know, either that or they think the market can bear no more price increases, or maybe it means that they brought forward, you know, next year's price increases now because there was a perception among many CPG companies that as soon as the ingredient costs start to come down, that the retailers are no longer going to accept any further prices and increases. They're going to say, we're taking no more. And so there was kind of this rush for, for CPG companies to, to increase um, you know, prices. So even though a lot of CPG products right now, they're about 15% higher than they were a year ago, kind of good news for consumers that maybe they're backing off of that a little bit. Of course, those plans can change and it's going to be dependent on things like commodity costs, um, packaging costs, you know, energy costs, transportation costs. But I think on balance, um, they're starting to see some of those things subside. When you look at the latest kind of uh, you know, consumer price you know, data, and I'll talk a little bit more about this in a second, some of those things have, have, have backed off. And really, it's been the food prices that have not, have not yet um, you know, backed off. Uh, this news item number two, and this is going to be the last one I have for today, is grocery prices show further increases. So even though I just talked about how the CPG companies don't have any further uh, price increases planned, um, when you just look at the most recent month, which was September, still seeing plenty of inflation there. CPI food index rose 0.8% month over month just from August and uh, 0.7% month over month for uh, food at home uh, prices, which is going to be the one that's more relevant for um, CPG companies. If you look in the past in the past 12 months, food at home prices have risen uh, about 13%, believe for most CPG companies, these publicly traded ones that talk about their prices. It's even a little bit higher than that. It's more like 15%. And some of the areas that have risen the most um, would be things like eggs, and 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 butter, um, you know, I believe those are up twenty five percent or or more in those uh, in those categories. So that's something that um, you know, need to need to keep in mind. Is um, you know, consumers are still uh, struggling facing these higher higher food prices. Maybe they get a little bit of a break going forward, and, and we're seeing uh, the the consumer uh, inflation data start to back off of, off a little bit, but still, you know, lots of of, of pressure uh, there. In the last couple of minutes here, I uh, just would encourage anyone, if you're not signed up for it already, to sign up for my, my newsletter. Try to get that out twice a week. Um, there it is, uh, www.freightloops.com forward slash the stockout. So it's the first one listed there. You go up in, in the newsletters under, under supply chains. Um, you know, Talk about a lot of the publicly traded CPG companies. Also, just a lot of trends that I think are are interesting sort of coming come from the perspective of, you know, if I was a, at a CPG company, you know, what would I want to, to know? Um, you know, try to leverage in some of the things like I was talking about earlier with the FreightWaves uh, news articles, as well as uh, the FreightWaves data, which, you know, right now the FreightWaves data is showing kind of a lack of a, a fall, you know, peak season. Um, just heard Donnie Gilbert this morning talking about how tender rejections are sort of trending down in the four and a half percent 
you know, range and, um, you know, sort of really haven't seen those uh, pick up or even seen tender volume, which is the volume of requests to move loads, really have not seen that pick up seasonally either. Um, on the rail intermodal side, um, it's unusual that the rail intermodal spot rates, which is one thing that we see in uh, sonar, that those have not picked up, that those have stayed have stayed low, even though seasonally you'd expect those to, to, to surge. It su- suggests um, you know, to me that the rails are not concerned about securing capacity uh, for their for their contracted shippers. So that's a, a little bit of what's going on there. Of course, you know, ocean volume, the, those volumes have been um, you know, down, they were down double digits in September, both year over year and month over month. So that was kind of the, the, the first, you know, month or two that, um, you know, the ocean import volumes have really started to, to, to crack. So lots of evidence that um, transportation capacity is uh, loosening, which is a uh, good news for CPG, you know, companies as they wrestle with all their other issues, such as um, you know, rising input costs, labor availability is still a real big constraint for a lot of CPG companies, um, and uh, would encourage you to follow that on, on my newsletter, and, and also check out some of the other newsletters. Like the retail point of sale is is very relevant. Um, the one that Rachel Premax writes, modes is, is relevant. If you're interested in uh, equipment, you can check out Alan Adler's um, newsletter. But with that, um, wish everyone uh, a good start to the to the work week.